Yesterday, uh, the province announced it'll spend $10 million to fund 8,000 air conditioners for vulnerable people. And that uh, is 8,000 conditioners, uh, air conditioners over three years they'll be offering uh, through BC Hydro. Now, the province's decision is in response to the 2021 heat dome that killed more than 600 people, uh, most of whom did not have uh, air conditioners. Uh, it's important to note that um, the state of Washington and Oregon uh, have also uh, started similar programs much earlier than the province of BC. In fact, they've already handed out 23,000 uh, air cooling units uh, to their uh, taxpayers as well. Now, I was just reading up on um, air conditioners and cooling generally, uh, and the International Energy Agency says that cooling is the fastest growing use of energy in buildings, uh, and without any action to address energy efficiency, energy demand, for uh, cooling spaces will more than triple, triple by 2050 and consuming as much electricity as all of China and India today, which two nations that represent about 40% of humanity. So the question that becomes is... Uh, responding to climate change or using air conditioners the right thing to do when we respond to air conditioners? Is this the right solution uh, for uh, the broader challenges that we have before us? Joining me now is Alex Boston. He is a principal for Boston Consulting and former fellow at SFU's Morris K. Wasks Center for Dialogue. Mr. Boston, thank you for joining us today. Good afternoon. That was great front-end research. <laughs> I tried to prepare for these interviews, and, and, and having lived in India and China, I can tell you I've seen a lot of hot days, uh, particularly living in New Delhi, but it is a broader issue uh, that we must uh, curtail. First of all, uh, the announcement yesterday, broadly speaking for as a taxpayer, as a British Columbian, was that a, a, a generally a good decision in your mind? Well, I would say that this is the Spaghetti Western announcement. There's kind of the good, the bad, and then the, the ugly sibling missed opportunity that we have to zero in on, which addresses your key point around how do we manage summer peaks on a long-term basis. Nothing is free. This is not, we're not giving away free ACs. Nothing is free. This is going to cost us, and it's going to cost us because we're increasing demand for electricity. This is not unrelated to the announcement two weeks ago that we need more power in British Columbia, and we're going to pay for that through our hydro bills. And vulnerable people don't don't have a, don't have the capacity to pay, and that we have to really thoughtfully appreciate that. There is a role for air conditioners. There really is. There's a strategic like uh, context where air conditioners should be deployed. And the great thing about this announcement is. Typically, when we think about it, conservation incentives, climate incentives, they go to the affluent, affluent, EVs, home energy retrofits. The money goes to affluent people. This money targets low income. Everybody is vulnerable to climate change, rich or poor. Poor people don't have the capacity to adapt. Mm -hmm. This money is targeting them, and that is fantastic. But why do we again and again and again focused on high-cost solutions. ACs are short-term necessities, as I said, in some cases, mm -hmm. but they're expensive to buy, operate, and as you underscored or suggested, they're kind of power dumb. There's other things we can do. So let's talk, focus on those other things. Uh, what would you like to see us do moving forward? Is it the way we build uh, our, our homes and buildings? Is it uh, uh, more tree canopy? Uh, you know, what, where would you like to see us focusing our attention on? 
those are some of the things, and I appreciate that we need to address people who are living in buildings today that we have that don't have proper ventilation mm-hmm. um, and heat management. And the super low cost effective way to manage heat is putting external window shades on um, the exterior of your building and then uh, providing um, tenants with, uh, with a fan. And a, a fantastic, pardon the pun, study done by uh, Portland um, State University in the wake of the heat dome, you put shades on uh, the top floor of your hottest residential rental units, provide occupants with a fan that they can use when the sun gets off their windows on the southern and western aspects, and you can bring temperatures down by 15 degrees, and you're below those extreme heat thresholds, very comfortably below. That is what we should be using in most situations, and we should be requiring it on all of our older buildings, targeting that rental stock, targeting our our social housing unit, because those are the people that don't have the capacity to effectively adapt. And then we provide incentives to other homeowners to do the same. We have to be smart about this. And the the, the tech solutions that we go for, the the quick fixes, Mm -hmm. often they have implications on a long-term basis because too much power demand, too much peak means that you can have... Uh, push yourself into brownout situations, and then the cascading health implications are mm-hmm. huge. Yeah, it's, you raise a very good point. We, we are so used to having uh, easy power uh, because of hydro, uh, unlike uh, some other parts of the United States where you do hear of consistently of brownouts and in, in parts of Asia as well. Um, in in this case, we have had elected officials on focusing on cooling centers. Uh, and for making sure they advertise in advance now where the cooling centers are going to be. I mean, those are the kind of things I think would be very, very, uh, I think are really great to see and that the that uh, governments, local governments are being proactive when these th- heat waves do hit. They call CKNW, many other media outlets that look, here are where our cooling centers are going to be. We're open these hours. They want to make sure people get out there that can't afford and don't have air conditioners. Those kind of things I think are very positive at the end of the day. Yeah, I've really seen municipalities from north to south, from the Pacific to the Rockies in B.C., stepping up, putting in cooling centers, misting stations. And then the B.C. government has done some good things. This, um, the, the smartphone heat, heat alert system that has been institutionalized is fantastic. The Emergency Preparedness Guide developed by the BC Centre for Disease Control is really the top guide I've seen issued by any government anywhere. And every household should read it. You know, what can we do? It does. The first thing, the, the, the worst performing part of our buildings are our windows. Get window coverings. Get a fan. Get water. But another thing that we can do is look around our neighbourhood. Are there any solo seniors? Because when we saw those mortalities peaking mm-hmm. 100 a day during the heat dome, the people who were dying, dying were solo seniors. They're, when we age, we lose our capacity to regulate temperature. It just shuts down, and we're not aware that we're at risk. And oddly enough, Jazz, some of the most uh, vulnerable people 
are you and me? It's solo senior guys because we actually don't have social networks. After we retire, mm-hmm. we don't connect with people. We lose all those networks. So male mortalities were way higher than female mortalities. Oh, and wow. so checking in on solo senior guys is a big thing. Guys also don't seek for help, <laughs> seek help. Um, when they're in trouble, they're stoic and they don't think that they're having a problem and they can survive through stuff. It ain't true in situations like this when you're a solo senior um, and you've lost the capacity to regulate your own temperature. Mm-hmm. And so looking out for people in our neighborhood is something that we have to do as well. Uh, let's talk about heat pumps for a second. Is that the, the present and future in your mind should be made mandatory moving forward in all municipalities? They- that's where we what we have to transition to. The upfront costs are expensive, but these are, you know, the ultimate multifunctional d- device, the quadruple whammy. They don't only um, re- uh, provide heat in the winter, they provide cooling in the summer. They also filter your air in that fifth season that we have now mm-hmm. called forest fire season, and then they reduce greenhouse gas emissions. So it's a win-win-win-win-win scenario. The operational costs are way lower than conventional heating systems, and but the upfront costs are higher. So this is something that we have to phase in over time. And I got to say, is cities that are driving this, they're actually seeing really effective deployment in in new construction, mm-hmm. and slowly it's happening with retrofits. And that's where the province has to go. Um, we have to scale demand, and then we can bring down the prices. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mentioned at the beginning of this conversation, I used to live in New Delhi, and, and in August it would hit about 45 degrees Celsius. It was hot. But now, as a New Yorker article about six months, and the temperature hit, are easily hitting 50 degrees Celsius now, to the point where occasionally you will see birds fall from the sky. The inability of the human being, a human being to work. It's just your body shuts down, as you were saying. Now, let's take that, point that to Canada just for a moment here. And yes, our, our t- temperature is more moderate. But when I look at uh, this uh, extreme heat preparedness guide that you sent to our office, you know, on June 29th, 2021, we hit huge records. Lytton hit 49.6, so just under 50 degrees, 47.3 in Kamloops. Um, you know, Abbotsford is 42.9. But when I look at the interior, especially 49 and 47 in Lytton and Kamloops and Kelowna and Soyuz, those areas all, you know, I'm not saying people can't live in those communities, but this could, in, to a certain degree, if the the rate we're going really impact our ability to live in certain communities, even here in British Columbia. Yeah, I do think you're right that we actually have to critically evaluate where we grow um, and understand that and really um, accelerate uh, the development of more resilient communities. And you, uh, you made reference to it up front. We need, and this is something the province should move on right away, every single residential parcel multifamily, single family, should be required to have trees. Mm -hmm. We should be required to have a certain amount of on-site rain capture. And what's interesting, trees are the best way to collect rainwater on-site. So trees not only provide shade and evapotranspiration cools the immediate area, they also allow us to mitigate flood risk. They're a a double win opportunity, um, uh, trees are. Every single municipality should be required to have and meet urban tree canopy targets. This is really useful for managing civic infrastructure, stormwater costs, 
on a long-term basis and reducing the number of really, really uh, dangerous uh, extreme flooding events that, we, that we, we have in British Columbia. These are simple things that we should start to do now, prevent the further erosion mm-hmm. of our, our urban, urban tree canopy. Alex, uh, absolute pleasure chatting with you today. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for your keen interest.